But I know that this reading of the gospel is intense and brings up many questions. But I, rather than addressing the gospel today, I'd like to talk about a very important issue that we rarely get to reflect on that St. Paul raises in the second reading today. He speaks about the freedom we have in Christ. Why does St. Paul have to insist that we are free in Christ? What does it mean? Well, first, the context may help us understand. St. Paul was explaining this to Jewish people who had become Christians, who had entered the church. And for them, I would assume, we have to assume that becoming a Christian must have felt very weird in different ways because they had lived forever under, under this extensive list of regulations that prescribed all these rituals for your daily life and the things you couldn't eat and the people you couldn't engage with and the places you couldn't go to and what you do when you came home and before meals and before going to bed. And as Christians, suddenly they were not asked to observe any of those, many of these ritual precepts at least, right? They were freed from all those tiny, minute prescriptions because the purpose of all that, those regulations was aiming, St. Paul says, to love. It was like a training wheels for you to learn discipline and love of God and love of neighbor. That's the goal. And then salvation comes from the blood of Christ on the cross, not because you're keeping all the you know, hundreds of little regulations. So you're free. You don't need to do that anymore. And they said, okay. But still, they must have felt a bit unmoored, uncertain about what to do with that freedom. I think we can, you know, I think we can relate a bit to that in different situations. When, for example, when your life has been regimented, for a long time, you've been going to school, and suddenly, you know, you finish school, and it's summertime, or you graduated. Now you can control your schedule, Monday through Sunday, it's all open. You can do whatever you want. You're free. But maybe after two months, you say, you know, I'm kind of ready to go back to school, maybe. Because it's hard to manage to be that free. Or could be the case of people who lived under a very long time under, you know, a controlling parent or boss or who lived in fear of crossing certain people. And suddenly that fear is gone. It's like you're free. You don't have to live under that gaze of that boss, that parent, that group. It's no longer conditioning you. But you, you've lived under that gaze for such a long time that now you feel you've lost contact with motivations other than that fear. And it's like you don't know exactly where to go with that freedom. As a woman back in D.C. told me one time, she says, you know, the good thing when you're over 30 is that you don't care anymore. You know, what all these people are saying. Well, maybe that's true for some people, you know. And it could have good outcomes, I would say. But it could also unleash a lot of impulsivity or anger or harshness that were kept at bay by that fear. And now that they fe that fear is gone, they take over. Suddenly you become this new personality, this new person that is very blunt or aggressive or impulsive. 
And that's why St. John says in his letter, in the first letter, St. John says, you know, one who fears is not yet perfect in love. The one who fears is not yet perfect in love. Because fear, fear does not allow you to reach perfection as a disciple because you don't know what's underneath the fear. You don't know what the fear is masking. You may think, for example, that, you know, that if the fear of displeasing other people is gone, then you would be perfect, right? If I didn't have to perform for all these people, I could be free, I could be perfect. But that's not necessarily the case. You know, that fear could be gone only to discover that there was little love underneath. You know, C.S. Lewis was kind of thinking along these lines when he was talking about the, the sin of pride, and he said how a prideful person doesn't necessarily land in a good place because he's freed from this gaze of other people. You, you know, if you reach a certain level of pride, he said, and he wrote the following, the real black diabolical pride comes when you look down on others so much that you do not care what they think of you. Of course, it is very right and often our duty not to care what people think of us if we do so for the right reason, namely because we care so incomparably more what God thinks. But the proud man has a different reason for not caring. He says, why should I care for the applause of that rabble as if their opinion were worth anything? So what is that freedom that we have in Christ then? What is the freedom of love? Basically it's this, is that you're walking in this path of faith not because you're constrained into it, not because you're afraid of what would happen to you if you walk out of it, not because you are afraid of displeasing someone, but because you love it. Here is where you want to be. This is how you want to live. This is your identity. And that's why many times Jesus would ask people coming to him before anything, what do you want? So what do you want me to do for you? He wasn't just telling them, this is what you're to do. He just, what, is this what you really want from me? And he also said in John 8, a slave, so one driven mainly by fear, does not remain in a household forever. But a son, a daughter, one driven by love, always remains. And you may say, well, what happens if I am not there yet? Well, even if you're not there yet, you need to aim at this freedom. It's good to know that we are aiming at this freedom. And you have to prepare yourself, you have to prepare your children and those you guide for that freedom. Because that's the freedom of heaven. You know, we won't be constrained to be there. We, we will want to be there. That's the goal. We will not be forced to be good. Maybe, maybe you find that for the time being, as I agree, and I agree with this, a bit of fear, uh, fear of displeasing someone or fear of breaking the law or fear of punishment or fear of rejection is like a, a, a scaffolding that you need to keep your life together. You know what? We are, we are sons or children of discipline, and we need some kind of guidelines in society, right? 
while our hearts grow stronger. And that's okay, but remember, that's only a temporary imperfect stage that ultimately we're made for freedom, to love what we do, to live the way we love. You know, and I think that's, there's good reason for rejoicing in this recent ruling of the court in, in overturning Roe v. Wade. And we, but we need to keep working at it because even though a good ruling that defends the life of the unborn is very important, it's a great victory, it's also true that it's, it's, an, it's something imperfect in a sense. Because the important thing is that we, nobody really, most people wouldn't really want abortion. Not simply because it's allowed or not allowed, because it's just, it doesn't, it's not the right thing to do. So while you have this scaffolding of laws and institutions and regulations, you want to make sure that the right love is growing inside. That the scaffolding of fear or regulations doesn't replace love and justice and the right desires. And you may wonder, how, how do I do that? Well, let me suggest a couple of practical steps to, to conclude on that. The first one is this, is go beyond a faith life that is made of minimums. If you want the right love to grow in you, don't just regulate your life um, by minimums, because that doesn't allow love to grow inside of you. So if you're asking all the time, you know, what's, what's the least I can do to stay out of trouble? That will always keep you under the cloud of fear. It keeps you only working under this scaffolding. You know, you take it out and you kind of fall apart. And I think that's why Jesus has such high expectations of these people coming to him. Because these are disciples that have already been walking for some time with him. They should be grown and stronger. And so he's saying, you shouldn't be asking, you know, how far can I go without displeasing you, Lord? Can I go and can I get away and do this on my own? Like, you should know, you should be higher already. You should realize what's going to happen. And going up to Jerusalem, I will be crucified. And this is only weeks away. So maybe ask yourself, in what aspect of your faith life is Jesus calling you to go beyond minimums. And the second practical thing is connect with your deep desires. Jesus asks you, so what do you want for your life? What do you want for yourself? Who, what kind of person do you want to be? What is it that you want in this world? You know, not the desires that only last five minutes until the next, next video shows up on the right side or, or a week or two months. No, the desires that are deep seated in your heart, the enduring ones. I found something very insightful in, in the life of St. Faustina Kowalska recently. She tells this very interesting thing in the beginning of her diary. She says, from the time she was seven, she experienced this clear, direct call from God to religious life. Seven years old, very young, very little girl. But then when she was 18, she began to experience opposition in her family, so she says she tried to quench that calling and to distract herself. And one time she says she was, she was at a dance. She was in this party. And everyone else was having a great time, but she was in torment, she says, because 
I knew I was running away from God. It was like Jonah, running away. And so as she began to dance, she says, Jesus appeared to her, standing there, covered in wounds. And he asked her, this is very striking, how long shall I put up with you? And how long will you, be, you keep putting me off? And imagine Jesus asking you that. How long you know, shall I put up with you? And at that moment, she says, everything else vanished. The dance, the people, the part of the music. And she says, I was only there in front of Jesus. And then she says she went to sit down, and she, she sat next to her sister and made an excuse that she had a headache. And then she says, I, went, I slipped out without people noticing and went to the cathedral and began to really reconsider what, what I was doing. Because I really, she, you know, in all these different apparitions she had of Jesus, whether comforting or challenging, she says that one common factor was there that I wanted to seek him. I wanted to please the Lord. I wanted to love him. And I was quenching that by all these fears, fear of displeasing my family, fear of not fitting in, fear of not being guided well, and so on. So connect with those deeper desires. So what are those deep desires in your soul? How do they intersect with the gospel? For freedom, Christ set us free. A slave does not remain in a household forever, but a son, a daughter, always remain. May we pray. Lord Jesus, you've called us to live in freedom and in love in your kingdom. And for a season, you may allow us, Lord, to keep some disciplines and some fear to help us move forward on the right way because we're weak. But make, a, make the fruits of your Spirit grow stronger in us, that we may reach perfection in love and no longer, no longer be slaves, but children in your household. In your holy name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.